Welcome to Central Line, Leadership in Healthcare, the show that shares stories, experiences, and advice from notable and innovative leaders in healthcare. Leading in healthcare is incredibly challenging. So if you are looking to learn firsthand from nurses, physicians, administrators, and other healthcare professionals in leadership and management roles, this is the podcast for you. Hosted by Leah Wuchik, leadership development expert, executive coach, healthcare professional, and president and co-founder of Tall Trees Leadership. We talk with today's successful healthcare leaders on how they get to where they are, lessons learned along the way, and what it takes to thrive as a successful leader in healthcare. Let's get started with your host, Leah Wuchik. Danielle Dorschner is a bilingual healthcare leader with over 30 years of healthcare experience, from the local service delivery to the international front. She has recently retired as the executive director of OSHNI, a community based organization coordinating and managing care for Nunavumiat medical travelers and their families coming to Ottawa for healthcare services. Danielle obtained her Bachelor of Science in Nursing from Laurentian University in 1985 and her Master's of Science in Nursing from the University of Montreal in 1991. After working in a hospital setting for a few years, she then worked in public health and then moved to Accreditation Canada, where she worked for 16 years in various positions, progressing to the Executive Director of the Canadian Accreditation Program. She has presented more than 50 different papers, some of these at international conferences, during her career and participated in a dozen committees, expert consultations and panel presentations regarding accreditation, patient safety, quality and public health. Danielle is also a lifelong volunteer as she has participated in several boards as director and president. She is currently on five boards and is very involved with the International Society for Quality in Healthcare as a volunteer surveyor for more than 10 years. Central Line Leadership in Healthcare. I'm excited to dive into your story and um, see really what you want to share with the folks out there. Oh, that's good. I'm looking forward to this conversation too, Leah. Wonderful. So maybe we'll just start out with um, your story. My story. <laughs> well, I'm um, um, from a family of or six sisters. Actually, there's actually only four of us um, still living um, current. So, um, and I was about three years old when I told my mom that I wanted to be a nurse because I was helping her take care of my sister who was uh, dying of cancer. She was six years old. I was three. Mm. Um, and that's where my journey started. And I always were interested by nursing and, and being that, you know, helping people, um, um, particularly people that were maybe a bit less more vulnerable and that needed that extra. So, um, so yeah, so I, I, with the guidance of my dear aunt, um, Marjorie Rathwell, who was teaching nursing at the time at a college, I chatted with her and I said, you know, I really want to be a nurse. And she goes, Danielle, you need to do your baccalaureate. 
<laughs> that's the route to go. So I did my nursing at Laurentian University, uh, graduated there in 85, and then my career started and I've had the most wonderful career in nursing, um, even better than I thought I would have. So uh, I, I worked in hospital, I worked in public health, I worked in community. Um, I worked in accreditation at a in national and international level and my careers ended with working with our Inuit uh, people. So it's been, it's been a wonderful ride. Mm -hmm. It sounds like it. And first off, I'm so sorry to hear the loss of uh, two of your sisters and, mm -hmm. and one at a very young age. Mm -hmm. And I'm sorry you and your family had to go through that. And it also sounds like that was really almost the catalysts for you at a very young age to want to be a nurse. Yes, because um, I, you know, I was only three, but I could, you know, give her a glass of water. She loved, you know, crackers. I could, you know, help her to just stay with her. Um, you know, th simple things a three-year-old can do. But mm -hmm. um, yeah, and then I, I also was very good in science, and so that was also very uh, fortunate. That I was able to kind of meld those two. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Now you've had quite a diverse career and mm -hmm. had a lot of different experiences in different areas. I'm curious to know, what was your favorite? Oh boy. <laughs> That's a well, tough question. It is a tough question. Um, I would have to say um, there's a, there's a tie. I would have to say um, working um, at Accreditation Canada um, was very good for me. Um, it, it opened up a lot of opportunities. Um, and, and I also say, you know, the, my, my position as executive director at OSNI, who coordinates care and manages care for uh, Inuit travelers, medical travelers that come from Nunavut to Ottawa was, they're both tied because I've learned a lot from those experiences. I, I love public health. I liked working in the community, but there's something about those two careers. And maybe it's because they were when I was maybe more mature um, in my career that I maybe appreciated um, them more, but uh, I would mm -hmm. say those are very, very dear to my heart, those two experiences. Mm -hmm. Now, I know certainly for myself, I didn't know much and I still don't know much about the specialized requirements and the very unique challenges when it comes to providing healthcare for our, our far, far north, specifically mm -hmm. for First Nations, Inuit and Métis. And so I'm wondering if you can share a little bit about that work and what the organization is doing, mm -hmm. um, but also what you were doing with it. Yeah. So, yeah, it, it's a real eye opener, uh, Leah. I have to say that. Um, um, you know, you, we we hear about, you know, working with indigenous populations and we hear about their struggles. But um, when you think of it for this, I'll use the um, Nunavut as an example. So, mm -hmm. you know, Nunavut, you would have access to primary care, very good primary care in their communities. They have a hospital in uh, in Iqaluit. So they, they have, when it comes to specialized medical services, high-risk pregnancy, cancer diagnosis and treatment, um, surgeries, cardiac care, they can't, they don't have access to that in their community. So they do, they have to, to travel sometimes thousands of kilometers from their homes to come to Ottawa 
you know, and some of them have never been to Ottawa, it's a big city. Mm-hmm. And then they, they're, they're here for their care. And then sometimes that care can take, you know, months. Sometimes it's, it's a few days, depending on the situation. So we really need to make sure that when they are in Ottawa, that they have, first of all, medical interpretation. They need to have, you know, to be able to understand the discussions that they have appropriate care and that they're also case managed and taken care of in, you know, in terms of their medication requirements, in terms of any special equipments that they require. So that's where our team comes in. So we're case managers, interpreters, um, and referrals that take care of the person from A to Z. So the minute an appointment is generated up North, we make the appointment. We make sure that person comes down safely has the medical um, interpretation needed and that they go home back back home safely, you know, that they have their, their, all the medications they need because sometimes they can't get specialized medication or specialized equipment in their communities. So we have to make sure that they leave with all they need. So it, it's quite, um, it's quite, it's a, it's a really uh, interesting organization. Um, during the pandemic, it was even, it was more difficult to manage that. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, so that's why they struggle. So um, it's it's not just leaving, you know, to go to an appointment. For example, you know, if you're in an urban setting, you maybe drive an hour, get your appointment, you come back home, but you have to figure out, okay, so I'll be away for a few days. What about daycare? What about making sure that if I'm caring for my elderly parent, is someone going to be there to help me? Um, those are all, you know, things that we don't think of necessarily here when you're more urban, but that they have to think of before they leave. It sounds incredibly complex and, and it also sounds quite stressful for the, the patients and the clients as well. Um, to your point, it's very simple for me to, to jump out and go to my appointment here in Calgary. Um, and it looks very, very different for them. So I'm curious about the organization. How did it start? What's the history? So OSNI um, is has been was um, incorporated in 1997. Um, um, what happened was uh, it came out of the Ottawa Heart Institute, a group of people there that decided that there was a need to have this coordinating body. So um, they founded the, the corporation at that time. There's a board of directors. So it's a it's an independent organization with a board of directors. Um, and they um, and we have the contract. The OSNI has a contract with the government of Nunavut uh, to be able to deliver the services we offer. So it's we're independent. Uh, it's a, a solid board with experience from medical experience, also community experience. So um, it's it's very well um, we're well established and has a really good reputation uh, in the community in Ottawa per se and and in Nunavut as well. So it's a solid organization. Where did the name come from? Well, it's uh, the Ottawa Health Services Network Inc. That's okay. what the name of the of the organization was because I thought that because the thinking was that you know this was be would be one of the main focus of the organization, so that they were really based in Ottawa to provide care. Um, so that's you know that's it's stuck like that. But a lot of people, what we refer to as the Ottawa Baffin Program, so that people can identify um, with the uh, Baffin region that we serve. So. Um, so it was, I think they came up with a name to be able to say it's an Ottawa-based organization and we help to network people, um, you know, thinking that there, there may be other opportunities, but really our, the main focus of the organization has been, 
this um, this coordination of care. Mm -hmm. What I'm wondering is what the biggest challenges are. Um, is it about relationship building? Is it logistics? Like where where do the biggest challenges for Osney lie? So I would say logistics is a big one. Um, okay, because uh, we depend on um, air travel. So. I'll give you an example. You can have an appointment for somebody this morning. So they would have come probably to um, Ottawa. They're talking Tuesday morning. They would have flown in on Sunday um, for their appointment so they can be here a day ahead of time and prepare. And then their appointment is on Tuesday. But what happens if, for example, there's bad weather? So that plane can't leave. Um, if there's a, an, another urgency and that plane, for example, the person can't get on that plane for some reason or they get sick and they can't. So then that appointment has to be rebooked. So the logistics around, um, I think, around travel are great. The other thing is uh, this summer, there were fuel shortages in some communities. So um, because we serve all the communities up the island, so it could be somebody needs to fly into a Calouette and then from a Calouette to Ottawa. But there were there were fuel shortages, so only mm -hmm. a certain number of seats were available on the plane, just because they had to bring fuel up. So there's a lot of logistics that really uh, impact, and we can't do anything about it as we don't book necessarily. So that would be, um, I think, one of the bigger big stressors because then we have to rebook that appointment, um, and then we have to, you know, it could be a few weeks later, it could be a few months later, depending on the availability of that physician or that clinic. So logistics is one. Um, I think the other two is, and you, you, you talked about relationship and it's really important not only to build relationships with the communities up north and Iqaluit Health Services and the physicians and nurses that work there, but also with the Ottawa community. So it's building relationships with the Ottawa Hospital, with GEO, Queensway Carlton, Mofar, um, because you know, we need to really make sure that there's, you know, there's some connections, there are relationships. And the Inuit-based organization, I can't say enough about Inukatigi, TI, there's a lot Ottawa-based organization that um, really work well with us to make sure that when people do come to Ottawa, that if they need culturally sensitive care, they need something around child care or other um other matters that we can reach out to those organizations. And the other thing is also, I wanted, I don't want to forget that there is a boarding home in Ottawa called Larga Baffin Boarding Home. And our Nunavumiat, our patients and their families stay there. And we really have to also build good relationships with them because that's where our patients stay um, for their, when they're here for medical care. So I think the logistics, the relationships, and I think also um, understanding and putting yourself in the position of the journey of the patient, like helping our providers here in Ottawa, you know, just kind of uh, sometimes we will, you know, give out information or provide information on, you know, understanding the journey so that the physician or the nurse that, you know, deals with that patient or cares for this patient when they're in Ottawa understands that reality. So mm. it's very important. And we do have good relationships with all local hospitals in, in Ottawa. We're very, very lucky to have those. It sounds like the team has worked very hard to build those relationships. And I'm really intrigued about what you're saying around understanding the journey of the patients. Mm -hmm. And I think this is probably something that 
if I may say, is is missed on a lot of levels and, and in a lot of places within healthcare. However, I can only Im- imagine that for your patients, it's it's at a whole different level, because as you share the experience um, of the patients just coming for one appointment, uh, I'm I'm kind of blown away by yeah. how much goes into that, and I know that's just a snippet of their health journey. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's it's and you're right, and and you know we talk about um, sometimes as well the patient coming to Ottawa and they have an appointment. What happens if they need to stay? And understanding that you know they're here for an appointment, they have to maybe get further appointments. They're delayed in staying. Um, so yeah, it's it's the journey of it's just understanding where that that whole process is coming. There's been a lot of uh, there's been a lot of research. I, I say a lot, but I, I think it's more than I thought there would be around the patient journey um, in terms of of support and trying to get people to understand that. And there's there's been also a number of videos done um, that are available publicly on websites to say, you know, look at this. This is the journey. So kind of understanding. Um, and and using that information. And I think it's, I need to also say that there's been a big push for care closer to home, which means that the the Calouette Health Services, um, there's chief of staff and, and the director there are really looking at how can we make care closer to home. So using more virtual health and telehealth. Mm-hmm. And as a lot of people would know during COVID, we learned that it works. There's a lot of opportunities for that. And uh, OSNI is moving uh, towards becoming a more virtual model. So because there are appointments that can be done virtually, but then again, there needs some support. You know, the person needs to have access to reliable Internet. There needs to be an interpreter available. So that's being worked out as well. Mm-hmm. But which is, you know, if you can say if you have one, if you have an appointment for an hour that can be done virtually, why not? You know, um, so it, it, it's very interesting and it's it's sometimes it's just, you know, um, having to, you know, pause. Like, for example, you're booking an appointment. You can't just rebook it like that. You have to think, OK, so is that a good day? Is there is, you know, is that person have another appointment with us during week? So there's a lot of juggling, but um, it's really trying to put yourself in the in the in the space, the head space, the heart space of that patient that is traveling so far, sometimes alone. Uh, sometimes they do have um, a family member accompany them, but a lot of times they can't be alone. Um, so, yeah, it's uh, it's a eye- real eye opener. Yeah, really eye opener. Yeah. I can only imagine how intimidating it may be for an individual traveling by themselves, like you said, to the big city of Ottawa, to some sort of medical appointment, no less. Um, I, I imagine there's a lot that goes on for that person. Yes. And it's, it's a lot because yes, it is, you know, it is foreign. It's a big city. Um, you know, thankfully they, they, if they are at Larga, well, they are at Larga, if they're in Nunavumiut, they, um, you know, they, somebody waits for them at the airport, you know, they go to the boarding home, they get a, a transportation from, for their appointments, their meals are made, mm-hmm. um, which is fantastic. But there's also that, you know, um, unknown about, you know, will the, will the physician understand me? Will I have an interpreter? You know, we tell them they're interpreted, but, you know, will that person be, um, you know, available with me? Um, will the person understand my story? So, 
um, it's a lot to be able to capture. So having, you know, a boarding home that is, you know, culturally appropriate, having some staff that is able to help and to answer questions and to be there is, uh, is what's needed. Wow. So what did you learn as the leader of, of this organization? But I also know that you, uh, again, as you talked about earlier, have a diverse background of, of work and roles and, and leadership. But what would you say were some of the lessons you learned from these experiences? Um, I, I think what I've learned is um, that you don't know everything. <laughs> <laughs> There's always something to learn, either, you know, through a conversation, um, through an experience, um, through the eyes of patients. There's so much we can learn. And, um, you know, the, being in this position is a, that's more community based, that's more frontline. It, it's really humbling. Um, so it's it's learning that sometimes you have to change the words you say. Sometimes you have to think about how are you going to say something, um, you know, reflecting on it. It's just more reflection that's sometimes required when you're you're doing this job just to make sure that, you know, you are um, um, and, and listening more like just sometimes not saying is good. It's listening. It's listening to what people have to say. Um I've learned a lot from the interpreters at, at OSNI. Um, they are uh, amazing um, women, one man in that group to um, to really be able to to learn more about, OK, this is this is how we how things are done. Um, and I also think that what I learned um, as a leader and um, I've, I was a leader when I was when I was younger, I was doing some stuff around uh, kids leadership and camps and so on. And what I've learned is that. Leader is not necessarily the boss. I, you know, sometimes people think, oh, well, because, you know, you're a leader because you're a boss. A leader is just somebody that has um, abilities to be able to, you know, bring the group forward, but with somebody. And I always believed in working with a team. I never had a team working for me. I always liked to work with people. And I find that is, for me, that was my biggest learning in my leadership career is that, you know what, Danielle? Yes, you, you have that experience. You have that knowledge. But look around you and look what everybody can bring to make the situation better. So that's what, what I've learned. And internationally or nationally, I've had the chance to do some international work, which is, um, I've been very fortunate to be able to, to travel around the world for accreditation. And even then it's the same thing. It's, you know, every culture is different, but it's, it's so nice to see you learn, you learn and everything you do. And when I used to go to work every day, if I didn't learn anything, I would say, hmm, you know, what happened that day? <laughs> so that was for me, that was important is, is the growth, the learning, um, but also that it's like a team. Like I always felt I needed that to go forward, you know? So mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I appreciate what you're saying about the, the value of the team and, and reframing the idea of a leader from that place of boss to the mm -hmm. place of person who brings people together and inspires an, a vision and helps everyone move forward together. Uh, and, you know, I think it's really telling what you said around you didn't have people working for you. You worked with people. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because I, I, 
I, we work for the patient or when I was at accreditation, you worked for, you know, the system. Mm-hmm. So you don't work for people, you work with people around you, but to make it better for patients. So when we're at accreditation, far away from the patient, I, I, I get that. And, but I, you know, for 16 years, I was able, you were able to still impact, right. The patient mm-hmm. journey through accreditation standards, through growing the program and making it more applicable. So it's this, it's the same. So I always think, you know, what am I doing this for? Well, I'm doing this for the patient. I'm doing this for family-centered care. I'm doing this for a community when public health was uh, the focus. So we're doing it for a better community, a livelier community, so a healthier community. So again, it's it's that's the focus. And if you keep on there, and and I'm not saying that you know leaders leadership is you all you have to make decisions sometimes. Of course, you have to be the one that uh, that you know makes that decision and and takes in take those steps but you always do it with keeping in mind that you're there and working with the team for the better good of of the population for example mm-hmm. i definitely hear that focus on that bigger picture and that that end goal of impact mm-hmm. and and so you mentioned at Accreditation Canada that obviously your connection to the patients and the clients is, is much further because you are working for the system. Mm-hmm. And I hear that from a lot of people in, in those types of roles where they are further from the bedside or further from the front line. But sometimes it's challenging to keep that focus on what's important and keep that focus on the ultimate end goal, which is the patient mm-hmm. and client. What would you say helped you to kind of keep that focus? So if we're talking, we're talking about accreditation Canada, I think the, the value of staying connected with people uh, that are frontline. So, you know, uh, we had we had surveyors that were eyes and ears, so they would go and do the actual on-site survey for. So it's connecting with the people that are delivering the services, so collecting with the leaders of healthcare organizations. So it's again those relation relationships that we talked about are so important. You know, um, at accreditation, it was you know connecting with the ministries of health from every province. Uh, the leaders of organizations and it's just trying again to kind of see what are they what are they telling you what what's out there what do they need from us um, and it's also good to go out on a survey for example where you would actually see the what you're you know what you're, you're building you're developing in your program and you're teaching about these standards but going on survey was like okay this is where i see the frontline mm-hmm. piece and how it impacts um, it's also staying connected. It's, you know, it's it's also keeping up to date on, on you know, what's out there in terms of patient safety, for example, when it was Accreditation Canada. So it's always keeping um, um, up to date and current, participate in committees. I, I'm a big, also, I sit on a few boards that are, that were healthcare, you know, a mental health one was a board I sat on with the mental health organization. And I would see the reality of mental health. So then when I go back on my accreditation Canada work, I'd say, okay, you know, this is how maybe mental health could be seen. And with this role as executive director at OSNI, the last role I've had, it's 
it's really, again, you know, meeting with the staff, um, hearing the patient's stories, um, you know, um, talking to patients, you know, when they have a, a concern or they wanted to talk to you. So, again, it's just trying to see if you can still get connected to that front line without necessarily working there, but there are ways around it for sure. Yeah. I think that's really sage advice. The idea of connection comes up a lot in conversations that I have with individuals around uh, in leadership. And part of that is the reality that often if you are a leader, not always, but often if you are a leader, there is a, a degree of separation from the front line. Although, you know, I'm a firm believer that everyone is a leader, um, <laughs> including those on the front line. Uh, but that's that's a different conversation to be had. But as a result of that degree of separation, I think it can be quite challenging sometimes to keep that connection. And what I'm hearing from you is like, just get out there, listen yep. to what people are saying, um, you know, get your feet on the ground and and be part of it. Yeah, that like for me, um, uh, mental health was something um, when I started, you know, my career, I didn't get a lot of experience in it at Accreditation Canada as well. Mm-hmm. And then there was an opening for to be a mem- volunteer of a board of the, the uh, Champlain East here in, in Cornwall, the Community Mental Health Association. So I said, you know, why? Why not? So I put my name forward and I, I, I was on that board for eight years. And that's a lot of where I learned about mental health, community-based mental health health, um, a lot of the struggles. And I thought, oh, this is great. So, you know, even if you're, you know, sitting in an organization that's far removed, by volunteering, simply, you can really get that foot and, you know, and then bring that perspective back and say at accreditation, you know what, you know, what are we doing about mental health and how can we look at our standards differently? So that's what I think it's, and, and I, um, I have so many boards I sit on, but, and that's for me, I love that because that's where I get to hear the stories and I get to hear what things are going on in, on the front line and be able to kind of, um, kind of shape again, um, the work we do. So. You know, what's interesting, Danielle, is what I'm hearing from you, and this seems to be a thread through everything you're saying, is that idea around listening and, you know, taking listening to a whole new level, like deepening the listening, listen to stories, listen to experiences, listen to what's being said. And I I almost see a tie back to what you said earlier um, between listening, but also you mentioned about choosing your words differently mm-hmm. and I'm, I'm curious what did you mean by that um i think it's just um again when you're talking with with a staff person or you're maybe in a context where you know there's more vulnerability it's just trying to choose the words a bit differently um you know especially around the first nations and anyway communities you know being very careful about not using a word that can trigger trauma or that can you know just be aware of that so it's just a different way of of posing things or of you know just being able to maybe ask a question differently so um i've you know it's it's sometimes i hear something and i say oh i hear myself and i said i shouldn't have said it that way but Mm. so i'm just a bit more i guess aware of that having worked um, with uh, the communities for, you know, for a period of time for, or communities that are maybe more vulnerable, mental health is the same, 
you know, it's just watching a bit how you phrase things. And sometimes it's just better to just, you know, just ask the question, how are you? And then have everything come out of that. Right. So, mm-hmm. um, no, it's just, yeah, it's reflecting before we asking questions or just reflecting before saying something just to make sure you understand what that person is at. So that's how what I, I can't use an example. I'm trying to think of something, but that would be what I would say. It's, it's just trying to make sure that you're not, um, you know, bringing up something that could be traumatic or a word that a person, you know, is, you, you need to be, just be careful about some of that wording. So yeah, that's yeah. how it, does that make sense? <laughs> a- absolutely. <laughs> and I think, you know, your comment about reflecting is, is really important. And I know, you know, everyone is so busy and, mm-hmm. it, you know, your mind's going a, mi- a million miles and, and the reality is, I think sometimes it's really hard to remember to take that pause and reflect where you need to reflect. But I think that's something that's really important for everyone in healthcare, regardless of role or, you know, context or whatever is, you know, just just take a moment and think about what you are saying and what is the impact for that person. Yeah, there's a what I say I call the 24, 24, 24. So 24 seconds, sometimes before I answer, um, you know, uh, something said, like we're having a conversation, 24 hours for emails. And sometimes it's, um, you know, 24 days. So it's that like it's that how do you, you know, you make sure that you you have that time, uh, depending on what the question is or what the you know, what they're asking of you. You can take your time. You don't have to answer right away. I mean, it's, you know, people find things that everything has to be instant, you know, um, it's not in French, sorry, the French came out there, That's but okay. it's, it's, um, it doesn't have to be, um, yeah. Uh, you know, and that's so interesting. I love that idea of 24, 24, 24. And because I think you bring up a really good point in that our society is very reactionary and there seems to be almost this expectation that things are responded to instantaneously. And I always think about what is the potential damage of that, you know, in not taking the time to reflect on what you're going to say, not taking the time to reflect on what are the emotions that are, you know, circulating, taking the time to reflect on what are the external factors that are maybe influencing this. Um, So I think that's really a really an important thought around mm-hmm. it's okay and in fact it's very valuable to take a little bit of time and it's also um in this culture of email and and you know when i try to when people ask me you know for advice on you know when they're talking about the management day to day is like email is fine but you know pick up the phone people sometimes it's much better and and the 24 hour rule and that's something that i you know i've talked to some of the people i worked with and say sometimes if you write it and you wait 24 hours when the next 24 hours comes the answer will be already there or someone would have called you so again but it's like picking up the phone i, I know i know people like email because it's you know documented and it's but you know you can pick up the phone and after you can say you know what i'll send that all in an email 
So, um, yeah, because, you know, it's, it's, you're, you're right. It's like, we always want something, you know, done quickly, but it's, you know, it's nothing to say, pick up the phone. Um, there are still phones out there, (laughs) (laughs) um, to just talk to somebody and then you can maybe get, get it solved in, you know, a few minutes versus, uh, back and forth that can take a few hours. So. Yeah, definitely. I agree. And so one of the questions that I get a lot from uh, people who are either in formal leadership roles or people who are interested in developing their leadership, um, what would you say from your own experience people need to do to keep growing and developing? I think it's taking every opportunity you have as a learning experience. So if formal learning is fine, I've, you know, I've done some leadership training, I've taken some courses, uh, you know, did a master's, but it's sometimes, you know, just daring to maybe um, try something different or, um, you know, take, take a course or something, you know, just again, go to a conference or, you know, go on, on the internet and find some YouTubes where there's something interesting. So I, I think we need to, I think my advice is always making sure that you, you take any opportunity you have to be able to learn something new. Mm-hmm. Um, it doesn't have to be formal. It could be informal. Um, I always, one of the things I always recommend when people are, when I'm mentoring, I've mentored in the past is volunteer. Volunteering um, is humbling it's um it doesn't have to be volunteer front line like i like the boards because you're kind of a bit removed but it's still being there learning something different meeting new people that are not related to your your leadership experience if you're a leadership in a healthcare organization you go volunteer in a community-based organization um you know that you know related to a daycare related to um you know another social um environment it could be even something art related you just learn you always learn something you meet new people uh, you will learn more about yourself sometimes and say, hmm, that's new for me. So I that's my my biggest, um, not my biggest push, but my my number one suggestion when I chat with people is, yeah, there's a lot of formal education. There's a lot of courses you can take out there. But for me, volunteering has been the most valuable experience as in a board uh, setting for me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, I think that's something that people don't necessarily always think of. No. And and when I tell that to people, they look at me and say, volunteer, bored. Mm-hmm. And, you know, sometimes, yes, they have, you know, younger children and stuff. And I said, well, it's, you know, could be virtual board meetings, you know, once every few months, um, you know, and you, and you learn. Uh, my dad was, uh, my, my, he's passed away quite a few years ago, but he was a, a great believer in volunteering. And he always said that to us, you know, like, you know, you need to give back to your community. We've been fortunate. We have skills. Uh, you know, we have knowledge, we had experience and we need to, you know, give it back to our community. So um, volunteering was big for him. And I think it's instilled in, in, in us. So mm-hmm. what a lovely thought that your dad had and that idea of giving back and ensuring that, you know, all the benefits that you've received in your life, um, sharing it. And it's almost that pay it forward idea. Yeah. 
Mm-hmm, exactly. Uh, and it's it's fun. <laughs> it's fun volunteering. Yeah. Well, and <laughs> what I'm wondering is, is if people are interested in doing that, what would you suggest to do to find opportunities? So um, what there are a lot of um, uh, people that advertise for board recruitment on LinkedIn, for example, um, sometimes they'll do them on their own websites. There are in some communities, um, you can maybe go to the municipality or the city page. Sometimes they have volunteer opportunities. So keep your eyes out. Facebook also, like you see them all the time, people looking for volunteers, talk to your neighbors. Um, you could, you know, easily, um, you know, just call an organization if you're interested in a certain topic or you can call them and say, you know what, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm a nurse and I have this experience and I'm looking for, uh, if you have any opportunities to volunteer on a board or another capacity. So sometimes it's taking that dare, that first step and saying, you know what, I want to try. And then, you know, they'll let you know. And sometimes you call one organization and they don't necessarily need anybody, but they know somebody else. It's a small world. <laughs> it, it really is. I know we often think of healthcare as this huge, massive beast, oh, no. but it, uh, it is a small world. And I think, you know, there's tremendous value in, as you said, just taking that first step and, yeah. and just trying it out and see what comes of it. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I'm a true believer in that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So Danielle, if you were to offer any final words of wisdom, what would they be? <laughs> well, I'd say, um, you know, just reiterating a bit, um, you know, trying to be to be to listen, um, trying to, you know, look for opportunities where you can to be able to grow and and don't forget to have fun. Um, I, I always sometimes we say, well, if people are having fun, they're, they're not working, but it's not true. So have fun. But uh, and always think of, you know, yes, you're you know, you're in an environment you're learning and you can also bring, you know, something and you can maybe change you know, one person or a patient's life by, by little act you do. So again, it's, it's being, it's believing yourself it's having a lot of confidence, but it's also being humbled by what we hear, by what we see, what we observe in our environment. Um, and, you know, I, um, if there's any people that are listening here, thinking I'm going in nursing, I, I'm, I'm very fortunate that my nursing career has been Oh, the best. Um, if anybody asks me about nursing, I say, because <laughs> I wanted to put that plug in. But I think it's 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 just it's just believing yourself, uh, looking for opportunities. Not don't hesitate. Like I sometimes have hesitated on you know looking for like a position and um, and if you hesitate, you know if you if you don't try, you don't know. So I think it's that trying to say, you know what, I can do this. And if I can't, and I'm not as successful at that, there's something else for me. But again, I think it's just daring to open that door or to open that window and say, you know, this is this is something I want to try. Yeah. Thank you so much, Danielle, for being here and for sharing that and sharing all of your experience and wisdom and knowledge. And thank you for all that you've done. Well, thank you, Leah, for the opportunity. I've really enjoyed our conversation. Thanks so much for joining us today at Central Line Leadership in Healthcare. Also, if you liked what you heard, please head on over to Apple Podcasts to leave us a review. Be sure to subscribe so that you never miss an episode. Also, if you'd like to learn more about our host, Leah Woodchick, check out talltreesleadership.com.